This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Eric Barnes and Jack Frew. In today's episode, we are going to discuss model factories, blade directives, material theme for PHP Storm, accessors and mutators, active menu route attributes, and PHP Storm's new pricing model. This is Eric Barnes. And I'm Jack Frew. Thanks for listening. Uh, first up is the Model Factory article that you wrote, Eric. Uh, why don't you tell us about that? Yes, uh, starting off with, um, I wrote an article about the Model Factories in Learville 5.1. And basically what Model Factories are, are they're, they make uh, database seeding easier and they're, they're useful for unit testing. So for what I do whenever I create a new project, I, uh, I start with the database seeds and the migrations first. The reason for that is that way I can start kind of building the UI and actually seeing how things, how things are going to look on the screen. So what this does is uh, the model factories basically allow you to define, to define a new little class and use Faker to kind of randomly generate data that will be inserted into, into your database. And so that's the part that, that really works well on the, uh, the migrations end. And then it all, you can also reuse them for the unit testing. So if you ever want to, you know, to make sure anything's working, you can quickly s- fill out a table and then kind of pull it in through your test. What's the difference between using a model factory and just using Faker in your actual seeder? Well, the benefit being that you can use, by doing it through the, the model factory, you don't have to redefine everything for your unit test. Okay. Since it's already defined once, you can use it in kind of both places. Okay. So in the, the post I wrote, I decided to create a little um, sample project and, and just kind of explain it all out in, you know, in code as far as how you would start a new project. And in this one, I used a, a fictional company called Lemon Custom Home Builders because, you know, with a name like Lemon, they're going to have a lot of support requests. So we, we kind of go through creating a uh, support issues tracker. And uh, basically, I just kind of worked through how to create your migrations and your seeds, and then and then it and then it builds into the mo- the model factories, and uh, setting up just kind of dummy data, and then finally I, I, I end the tutorial with a few example tests, just basically using the CN database from the the Laravel unit test suite, and and what that does is just kind of you kind of use the model factory to insert data, and then you call this CN database whatever, and uh, it returns true. And then you can also go in a little bit deeper into the model factories and you can, you can have multiple factory types, you know, where one can kind of build on top of the other. So that way you can have maybe one for like just a generic d- database column and then you can have one for like a completed database. So, so the difference there would be like it would take the same data as your first one, but it adds a completed flag it equals true. Uh, and then you can actually name your model factory so that way you can call the exact one you want. And that concludes the uh, model factory section. If you uh, want to want to learn more about it, you can go to laravelnews.com and search for learn to use model factories in Laravel 5.1 or check the show notes on this episode. Eric, lots of other news uh, this week. Looking at the, the outline we've got for the show here, I see there is something about blade directives. Do you, uh, you want to comment on that? Right, yeah. This uh, is actually a tutorial from Matt Stauffer. And uh, it's on uh, blade directives, which are kind of ways of adding your own tags into the blade template engine. And to be honest, I haven't used them before previously either. I I tend to kind of go back to building simple little helpers or something like that. But basically, he shows you a a nice way to kind of uh, to inject things. 
and gives an example of like a little simple NL2BR directive, you know, so that way you can just call call the at, the ampersand new lines to br and then your your uh, your variable. But you can go you can you know you can use these for kind of everything. Like if you need to format a date a particular way, you can go in and create a new directive for that and then that way any any code that needs it can just pull in from the directive. And if you're if you're kind of new to Laravel and you don't know what the heck we're talking about because uh, to be honest with you when I looked at the, the the title of the article I was like what is that? So uh, just a quick reminder, Blade is the templating system that Taylor's got that uh, is kind of a uh, you know I don't want to say a clone of Razor from the ASP.NET side, but it's it's our templating engine that we use when we're doing uh, web design and stuff like that. And these things that we're talking about these directives, these are the the little you know the little at symbols that you use in your blade template, right? Your your at if, for example, uh, when when the when the template is processed, that at if gets you know substituted out with some real PHP code and expanded, whatever. And uh, and these directives, I'm just looking at Matt's article here. Are it's just an article showing you how you can make your own, uh, which is pretty cool. I always wanted to have a directive that would do like um, you ever do like a loop where you want something between each item, but not after the last item. I always thought it'd be awesome if there was a directive for that. Like, if you know what I mean? Like if you're building like a list and you need some delimiter between each one, but you can't have the delimiter at the end. Right, I always right. thought, I always thought that would be neat to do, but I, I, I haven't done it yet. So um, that's pretty, pretty awesome. And now it's time for shameless self-promotion. This episode's shameless self-promotion is for Eric. Eric's written a book called Easy E-Commerce Using Laravel and Stripe, along with author W. Jason Gilmore. Their book will show you how to include the Stripe payment platform into your Laravel project. It'll show you how to use Stripe for all kinds of purchases, including one-time purchases, subscriptions, electronic products, or physical products. It also shows you how to use a shopping cart. The book comes with DRM-free PDF, Mobi, and EPUB files for your convenience, and it's just $34 and includes free updates for life. The book is available today at easyecommercebook.com, and it's backed by a 45-day money-back guarantee. Up next, we've got some discussion on a theme for PHP Storm that seems to be taking people by storm, no pun intended there, called the material theme. Eric tried this out, and he loves it. I tried it out. I wasn't quite as sold as Eric was. Eric, what, what, tell us what you liked about the material theme. Yeah, I liked... Uh... Well, I like the colors mainly. And then secondly, I like how the icons for your file types in the sidebar is like for PHP, it shows a little elephant. For Blade, it shows a little Laravel icon. For, you know, JavaScript, it's it's uh, something different. Uh, I don't have one open right here, but... I feel like I must have drawn the short straw because I downloaded this this morning so I'd know what to talk about. And I didn't have any of those icons. All I had was the name of the files with no icons at all. And I was really looking forward to that. Uh, and by the way, I don't know if we mentioned, these are templates for PHP Storm, although I'm sure there's probably a material theme for for other browsers as well. There's one for Sublime, I know. Yeah, people love that Sublime. One thing I was impressed with is the material theme isn't just a, a color scheme file, it's also a plugin. And you activate the plugin and it changes the look and feel of the entire UI in PHP Storm, not just the editor piece, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the piece that you can control. So I thought that was very clever. And they even give you like a little icon on your menu bar that you can use to change between the different material themes. So that part was pretty cool. Uh, I, I couldn't get my icons working, so I probably have to look into it. What version 
Eric, of PHP Storm are you running right now? I run PHP Storm 9.0.2, which is the latest stable, I believe. That's what I've, yeah, that's what I've got. I, uh, I know that 9.5 is, is out as an early release, but I, uh, I got burned by early releases back in like the one, two days. So I, uh, I didn't. Uh, I haven't. I haven't gone that route yet. Yeah. the The only problem now, I might be running a an older release of the material theme than what you downloaded if you downloaded it today, because I, I installed it. I guess a few days ago. So maybe they've, okay. they've done some stuff. But one yeah. one error I keep having is every time I quit PHP Storm and reopen it, my my font like goes back to the original. It's like it's not not keeping my uh, my custom changes. Oh really? My fonts didn't seem to change at all when I switched over to that theme. Uh, interesting stuff. You know what theme I have been using, and I really like it, is the the Dale Reese. Remember he had a bunch of themes out on GitHub? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm using the one called Kiwi, mm. and it is primarily a green, white, and there's a little bit of like what I would almost call yellowish green in there, but all of the stuff are shades of that same color family. And I find for me that that, I don't know, maybe it does something, you know, like you know, in the subconscious or whatever, I just find it makes the code very easy to read. There's just enough color differentiation that I can tell the things that need to be, you know, stand out, but yet they're all in the same color family. So there's, it's not like you have these bright glaring lights in your peripheral vision when you're reading code, which I feel like some of the, the other kind of more, uh, um, you know, the candy corn type themes do. So that might be something to check out if, if, uh, if the material theme doesn't do it for you, check out Kiwi because I think that's a good theme. Yeah, Dale has so many of them. I mean, they they were there. Surely you're going to find one you like from from all of Dale's. I almost wonder, like, did he just random generate all that stuff? Like, he had he does tons of them. He's, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I know he was back. I guess this was probably three years ago. He he was uh, it was on Twitter. He was like, "What kind of theme do you want?" And then he, yeah. so so he built a snappy theme based on a project we were building, and it had a light and a dark and and. Uh, and you can actually see by the name. Here's one that's uh, Zach's theme. Yeah, I've, I remember seeing that one too. Yeah, so, one too. but yeah, he has a ton of them. So it's, it's kind of great. By the way, if you're listening to us and you have no idea what we're talking about, uh, check the show notes. We'll put links into all of these things. Uh, the material theme, Eric's got a post on laravelnews.com. Uh, it it kind of talks about the theme and also has a link to where you can download it from. Uh, I believe it's on GitHub. And then the, the Dale Reese themes, same thing. There's a GitHub repository that has like all of these themes. And I just did a clone and then a uh, clone and GitHub desktop and you know started looking at them and you know picked the ones that i liked so uh that's that's your theme information for the day um eric what else do we have today all right so next up we have accessors and mutators um this is a tutorial over on scotch.io they kind of just basically go through what they are how to integrate them into your models and uh for those that that do not know the accessors and mutators are basically ways of changing the data either as before it goes into your database or as it comes out. And it just kind of happens all automatically. So once it's set, you, you know, it's all, it's always going to be coming in the same way or going out the same way. Do you have uh, an example of that just so somebody maybe can picture that? Yeah. So one example is I was creating an RSS feed for a site for the RSS feed. It needed a, the RSS feed date, which is that, uh, I don't forgot the format it's in, but it's in this crazy format. And uh, so I created a new uh, accessor called get blog date or something like that. And then uh, then every time it pulled out for that for that blade file, it would just automatically be formatted in the right in the right um, format. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually a very clever use of it. 
And, and then another one, since we're talking about other ideas, is I used uh, a markdown parser. Oh, my. So so I, I created a new accessor for the description. And then instead of actually overriding the field, I created a, a brand new one. And then that way you could just call, you know, parsed description or something, and it would auto- automatically parse it out for you. Oh, nice. If those two examples don't give you some ideas, the simple example in this tutorial that Eric's talking about, he actually just has something as simple as uppercasing the first letter of a name, you know, that you can have a, uh, you know, uh, a thing. And uh, what I think is neat about these things is they look like they're actually database fields. Like you work with these things. Once you've done, uh, once you've created the accessor, for example, you access the data as if it was just another field in your database that was already Mm -hmm. the value that you wanted, right? It just happens on the fly. Uh, that was a pretty good article. I have to tell you guys, you know, you know, Eric's more, way more experienced than I am. I'm kind of new at this stuff. Uh, it, when I hear accessors and especially the word mutators, as a new person, that's that's something that, uh, immediately in my head. I think to myself, I'm not going to touch that for another year or two, right? Like I'm not at that level. But you look at this article here, and this stuff really is pretty simple. Like I could write it this afternoon, and I'd be totally comfortable with it. So I think it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, any other thoughts on it, Eric? No, I totally agree. It's uh. It's it's one of those things, you know, the, the naming is kind of, oh, that might be a little scary. But once you do it once, it's like, oh, it just makes perfect sense. And and it's yeah. kind of like all things Laravel. You know, it's once you do it and kind of get the Laravel flow to it, then it's it just makes makes perfect sense. Also in the news this week, there was an article about active menu route attributes. Do you remember seeing that one? Yeah, that one it, was kind of interesting. There was there seemed to be some uh, controversy in the in the uh comments of that one i felt a little bit bad for the guy because he wrote this nice article and it, it is pretty neat but then in the comments like people were like ah oh, you could do it this way it's much easier you know and, and then the guy was like well you know i'd call it different not maybe not easier um what were what were your thoughts on the approach that the guy took and, and tell us what it did what what is this uh route attribute thing right so what he's doing is inside of his routes he's he's assigning a new attribute to, um for his it's called he he named it underscore active underscore menu and then he just kind of put a group in there or a, a string in there. And then inside, uh, he created a new view composer. And what a view composer is, is basically you define code that will be assigned to every view or to particular views. Um, so that way you can either have it global or you can have it, you know, only in the header or something. So he set up his uh, view composer to the menu. And then what he did was pull out the active menu that inside of his route group. And if it matches, then it's, you know, it's an active, men- it's, it That's sets a, the active class, right? Yeah. yeah. Is there, do you know, is there any other way to do that? Like, is there a way to, from within a view to tell what route got you to that view? Is I, like some kind of call stack or something? Well, you can, like, you can do like if request is whatever URL. And yeah. Then, and then that would work. I don't know if you can actually call it from, call the route group or the route name. Yeah. In that manner, you might be able to. But it's a it, bottom line is it's a nice article to take a look at. It 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 is one way to solve the problem of you know you've got menus in your system and you of course want that you know if you're on the uh, you know the edit menu you'd love it if the edit menu on your sidebar or whatever was actually highlighted. Um, and this is one way of passing that information from one place into your view so that you can so that you can act on that. So I thought that was uh, I thought that was pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, and, and too, I was going to say, it's, it's also interesting, you know, how the, the comments, like you mentioned, that they're, they're mentioning all these other ways of doing it, but it's like everything in programming. There's, there's you know, hundreds of different ways you can go about doing all these things, and it's just kind of, you want to pick the one that kind of best suits your mindset and, and what would be the simplest for the project. 
Uh, so that was a pretty great article. I think uh, definitely worth taking a look at if you've got any kind of menus or something. So, In other news, JetBrains has been under controversy lately because of their change in pricing model. JetBrains is the company that makes the popular PHP Storm uh, IDE for PHP developers on all platforms. Uh, have you had a chance to look at any of this stuff, Eric? You've been following what's going on? I followed a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you, if you remember the... They came out that they were going to a, a yearly plan, and then all the backlash started. Oh, there was an uproar. There was a yeah. There was a huge uproar when they when they announced that they they announced that they were basically pulling an Adobe. They were going to say, "Hey, we're not going to sell our products anymore. If you want them, you're going to pay us every month or every year." And uh, certainly, I can understand from the, the business perspective why a company would want to do that. Uh, but it, it did bring up some backlash. I think what's really interesting, though, is that uh, JetBrains, you know, I think that affected them. I think all these people posting all these comments, I think, you know, and I don't want to say that the people won, but JetBrains certainly came back and they made some very, very interesting changes. The, the most interesting change that they made, I thought, was that when you buy a subscription, as long as you subscribe for 12 months or more, the version of the product that you subscribe to that was out on the day you started your subscription becomes essentially a permanent gift to you no matter what happens in the future. One of the complaints that people had was, you know, what if I've got a subscription, I'm in the middle of a project and something happens and I haven't resubscribed and then my product stops working. And the way that they've addressed that is they've said, you know what, you know, essentially you can't keep using the version you're using right that day, but the version that, you know, happened when you started your 12 month subscription, that is our gift to you. You can, you can go back to that version. You can use that one indefinitely. Uh, what I think is really neat is, you know, that's not something I see, I've seen anybody else do. Adobe doesn't do that. The other folks that do subscriptions don't do that. Uh, so that I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, the other thing that they did was on the pricing. Basically what they've done is they've said, if you're a current customer already, uh, you can go to this new subscription model and we're going to give you like a year for free. And we're going to give you the long-term discount right from the beginning. So uh, let me just give you some examples as far as PHP Storm goes off the website here. It says here, uh, I'm on their jetbrains.com slash toolbox and I'm on the existing user annual billing tile it says my upgrade subscription is still valid. I have a license for other desktop product. And if I go to the single IDE, that's where we find PHP Storm. It says it's $53 for the first year. It's free for the second year. And then it's $53 a year after that. Now, if I change my little tab on the top to say new user annual billing, if we go down to the single IDE where the PHP Storm is found, um, you can see that as a new user, it's $89 in the first year. And then they give you a discount for your second year renewal and another even bigger discount for your third year onwards. But uh, as a existing user, you're saving 36 bucks off of the first year price. And then they're giving you that second year for free. So it's kind of, I think, their way of saying, look, yeah, we know this is kind of a, a harsh change or whatever, but they've, they've made some adjustments and I think it's for the better. Uh, what I'd be curious about is I wonder how many people uh, who are existing PHP Storm users um, might jump over to this $250 all products offering that they have. That includes their uh, their Java developer, includes all their C-sharp tools and all that other stuff. Um, what I think is interesting about this stuff is I I feel like a lot of people specialize. I don't know, Eric, what do you think? Do you, do you think a lot of people are out there that are programming in Java one day and then like Ruby the next day and PHP Storm the day after that and then like C-sharp? You're like... Uh, have you run across any of that in your career? I've I've seen people they seem to be they seem to be one trick ponies when it comes to languages. Yeah, we for the most part it seems like everybody kind of sticks, but but I know I know like uh, the Py PyCharm. I've heard of a few people wanting to have that one as well as the PHP Storm. Okay. So you know having the two products, I guess 
you can if you needed two, you can get them cheaper now by going to the this new plan where yeah. previously you had to buy each one individually and it would end up being a lot more money. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm only I only do PHP Storm, so I, I don't know the the major differences. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know that I do either, other than for these languages and stuff like that. I know uh, some C sharp developers at work. Uh, they really like that resharper tool. And I, I honestly, I feel like as a PHP Storm user, I think I have all that functionality built into PHP Storm. So I don't think I'm really missing anything there. But anyway, so if you haven't been keeping up on that, those are your options. I imagine that by the time this podcast airs, that that'll be, uh, you know, that'll be your only choice. One thing, by the way, I will mention, because I this this was a concern for me. I just renewed. Uh, like I want to say in maybe uh, September, I renewed for a full year. And you look at this and you say, well, I just renewed and this new model starts on November 2nd. So like, aren't I kind of being penalized? Because, you know, if I have to pay $53 again in November, right? Like, well, I just paid $50 to renew for a whole year, right? Uh, and, And I emailed their support folks. And what they came back with is you have until January 1st, not 2016, that's the year that's coming up, 2017, Okay, all of the prices in here are good for that. So basically, anybody who's got any kind of subscription that goes for a year, your subscription can completely run out before you make the jump to this this new model here. So that's kind of my plan is I'm going to wait until next year at this time, and then I'll I'll probably choose one of the products and and jump on board. Yeah, yeah, I think mine mine lasts until April, but but it's it is uh, kind of confusing looking at this forum on how they've set up everything. Yeah, you, you kind of really have to pay attention and figure out what it is you're trying to get. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But hey, I will say this: it does not at all reduce my love for PHP Storm. Well, I think that's all the time we have for uh, for news this week. Thanks for listening. This concludes this episode of the Laravel News Podcast. If you like the show, please rate it five stars on iTunes. If you have feedback for the podcast, please email us at podcast at laravel-news.com. Thanks for listening.